Hey, this is Ronja Kaminski from the Pinpricks. Greetings from Germany, and you are listening to the Freeform Rock Podcast. You are listening to the Freeform Rock Podcast with Mark Alden Taylor. What? The Freeform Rock Podcast with Mark Alden Taylor and nobody? No. Somebody. Me. Lee Gerstman. Why aren't I on that thing? I want recognition! Right on. All right. Welcome to the Freeform Rock uh, Podcast on uh, audio and video. Uh, we have a special guest today, Lee. Would you like to introduce him? Yep. He's a bass player and musician that's really, really cool. He played in Badlands, and he's also in Kings of Dust, and he's done solo work. Greg Chason. How are you doing, Greg? I'm great. How are you guys? I'm, I'm okay. doing really good. <laughs> Except for the technical difficulties before the video. But... <laughs> Yeah. Crap happens, man. It's all it's all good now. Yeah, it's all good now. I had to use my uh my uh microphone from my webcam. Uh I have a better microphone, but this will have to do till I can figure out why this isn't picking it up on the computer anymore. It's all rushing to me. Yeah. Yeah. So um Craig, I I got this album from you, and uh you guys signed it for me. Thank you for that. Uh, I bought it. Go out and buy physical media. Support your bands, please. Don't stream because they don't make money off that. Um, not, not, not much. That's for darn sure. If, if Peter Frampton's getting a million seven hundred downloads and he made like seventeen dollars, something. No, not, something's not working right. Yeah, yeah, something's not working. So Lee, um, uh, wait. Um, do you mind? Let's talk about your band, Kings of Dust. Uh, you lost your uh, singer, Michael, and we now you have another company. one. We parted what? company with him a couple weeks ago. Oh, well, about a month ago. month ago. Mm -hmm. And this, this band is like, it, it's like in the vein of uh, Badlands, but uh, your bass is really on top of the, uh, the levels on this, and I love it. Thank you. Yeah, it's like, dude, you sound like Giddy Lee. <laughs> Uh, I'm not going to uh, complain about that. So, uh, I mean, actually, when we mixed it, I was concerned that it might be too loud. But uh, the other guys kept saying, no, no, that's perfect. I mean, I wanted a very 70s sort of thing. And in the 70s, the bass was kind of, it had its own spot. And uh, so on this record, it definitely has that. I mixed it the way that I that we did this is to make it much wider. So the bass has an actual place all of its own, as opposed to being underneath or buried on something. It has its own spot. So that's pretty intentional. And most people don't actually mix that way. And for the most part, um, all the reviews of it and even that part of it have been extremely positive. So I guess I was worried about nothing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because I really... um, for me, I mean, a lot of times I'll listen to an album and... Well, I mean, as far as tone is concerned, when I grew up, I usually put stuff more to the treble than the bass, only only because of the brightness of the sound. But when it came to the bass parts, 
I found that sometimes I was trying to listen to bass work and I'm like, with some groups, I'm like, I know this guy's playing the bass and I can hear a little bit, but when I hear the bass more upfront as a whole instrument, I'm thinking, okay, that's fair. That's, that's a whole group that I can hear everything. So I really like hearing the bass up front because it's an instrument. Why, why have it be shoved in the background when it can be in, you know, the front with everything else? In the 70s, that's kind of the way it was. In the 80s, bass became more of a support instrument as opposed to a melodic yeah. instrument. Yeah. The guys that I was influenced by, which would of course been like John Entwistle of the Who, or oh yeah, you know uh, Tim Bogert when he was in Cactus. Or oh, definitely, Martin yeah. Turner from Wishbone Ash, Felix Papillardi from Mountain, yeah. yeah, on and on and on. Uh, those kind of guys, they all had their own spot in the mix. The thing I would equate it to the most that people would understand is Iron Maiden. We don't sound anything like Iron Maiden, but if you listen to Maiden, Steve Harris's bass has a, has a spot. Yeah. He's one of the main writers of the music. I'm one of the main writers of the music on this record. And so because of the way Steve writes, the bass is not just a support instrument, it's an integral part of the melodic structure of the song. And I try to do the same thing when I'm writing and I'm just not kind of thumping along on E or A, I'm kind of weaving some musical yeah. structure through there, some counterpoints, some counter melodies. Um, and even Michael Beck, the uh, singer on that record said that he got a lot of his melodic direction for his vocals and melody lines from the bass. So the bass can't, can't just be buried. Badlands was the same way. Um, I played the way that I've always played the way that I play. And Jake, that's the kind of bass player he wanted. So he always made sure there was room for the bass in each record, whether it's the first one, second or third one, developed more of that as it went along. Yeah, yeah I'm, we, I'm we curious do. how much of the, of the Badlands stuff did you compose or, you know, or, or, or was it more a matter of um, everybody putting their two cents or I'm just, I'm just curious. Jake was the main architect of all that stuff, and but we, he, we were all given free reign to bring in, you know, our part of it. Eric, on the first record, wrote all his drum parts. I wrote all my okay. papers. Ray was in complete control of that. I mean, we would discuss it if there was a situation or an idea or something. We would kind of, you know, discuss it as a band. The same thing happened on the second record, although on the second record I did bring in some material and on the third record I brought in some material but Jake was always the main architect of how Badlands sounded it was his vision it was how he heard it in his head and and for me I was just fortunate that the kind of music that Jake liked the kind of stuff he heard in his his head was exactly the way that I have always approached music myself which is why there's some similarities between Badlands and Kings of Dust is because Jake writes a certain way um, has a lot of moving parts. It's not just your typical verse chorus solo uh, on the verse and then out. It's, there's a lot of other musical elements to it. Yeah. And the same thing with my music, it's in Kings of Dust, what we write, there's a lot of parts in there and everyone's in, in Kings is given free reign. Jimmy writes his own drum parts. Ryan, of course, writes the guitar parts and Michael 
you know, wrote his parts and we all kind of, if there was oh, something, right we, if there's something we heard, something we wanted to change, something we wanted to try, we all were more than um, open to what other suggestions people had as far as, you know, how the music was being, you know, presented. Oh, okay. Right on. I was going to ask you, uh, yeah, because we we re we do album reviews on this podcast, and we recently it hasn't come out yet because I we since COVID we recorded a lot of episodes. We did your uh, debut Badlands album, and I was telling on that review, I go, man, I didn't really realize how great a bass player you were until I heard this on headphones. Because in the car, it's all like, you know, when I used to play it on CD in the car back in the day. But when I heard your bass line, I go, man, this guy rips. And then when I heard uh, Kings of Dust, I go, man, he rips again. I was like, I love it, man. I appreciate that. I mean, the first Badlands record, um, we didn't have complete control of the mix of that. Um, we, Our manager at the time had his hand in that. So in the end, while the record's a great record and it sounds great, Jake and myself weren't totally thrilled with the mix of it. So when we did the second record, Jake had complete control and uh, I remember we were going to the studio to start recording that second record and uh, I would usually pick Jake up uh, on the way to the studio and he said hey uh, by the way I want the bass to be louder on this new record and I said okay and that was about all it was I and mean, he again he we heard music the same way so it was always we were always kind of in lockstep with how the direction of the band was I never uh, I didn't really spend a whole lot of time writing in the band because I really liked the stuff that Jake wrote as far as bringing actual songs. Um, but I always had complete control of what I, um, how I interpreted the music. So it was always a really good situation for me. But thank you for the compliment. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I'm, I'm curious. Um, do you have, of the three albums that Badlands did, do you have a favorite album? And do you have a favorite song? Just out of curiosity. I kind of have a favorite song on each record. My favorite record of the three is Dusk, mainly because that's, it was a demo done live in the studio with no overdubs. It was just us, we went into the studio. Um, we didn't want to be there. It kind of got sprung us, on us at the last minute a couple of days before we were going on tour. And so we just kind of went in and banged out each song one time. So what's on that record is how we played that day. The only overdub is a vocal overdub that uh, Jake and I did background vocals on a song, Sun Red Sun, uh, when we mixed it, just because he always wanted to have those vocals there. And since we were both there, we decided to just throw it down. But everything else is basically, it's a live record in the studio. On that record, um, I mean, there's so many songs on that record I like. Could be Tribal Moon. One day it's Tribal Moon, one day it could be uh, The River, or it could be uh, Attitude, Walking Attitude. On the second record, I like uh, Love, Doesn't, Love Don't Mean a Thing is my favorite song on that. And on the first record, uh, on the CD, there's a song called uh, Ball and Chain, and that's my favorite on that record. Although I like um, I like all the songs on all three records. There's nothing I don't like. There's I don't skip over anything and go, eh, I'm not really crazy about that. Um, oddly enough, the first record is my least favorite of the three um, because I think, uh, again, Jake and I were not 
totally thrilled with the mix. It was a little too processed. We wanted something more raw, more, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? More organic, popular word. Yeah. More visceral. And I don't think we got that or the way we wanted it on that first record. On the second record, we got exactly what we wanted. Okay. First record is it, is it, was kind is of a it kind of like, I'm oh, sorry. It was kind of was, a product of the times that we did it. Yeah, I was going to ask them, um, so is there like, for instance, a difference like if you're in the studio doing the first album before it gets mixed, is that like how it, really sounds and then it's up to the mixer to make it however they want so that the final product becomes the thing that's maybe not so great but in the studio when you make it is is there a is there sometimes a big difference between what you're recording in the studio and how the final mix becomes well, um, you're always going to get your rough mixes before you finally go to final mix. And our rough mixes, we already liked. But what happened was when we went in, we weren't there when it was the final mix was done all the time. And there was some kind of stuff added behind our backs, if so to speak. There was some triggered snare drum on there that we weren't, even Eric wasn't that crazy about it. And so there were a few things that uh, our former manager, producer, whatever, kind of all right way without really kind of he didn't really um confer with jake as much as he should have i think he yeah. had his own vision which was different slightly different than our vision certainly slightly different than jake's so when we did the second record jake had complete control of it he was the producer of it um on the first record our manager got the production credit or got part of a production credit i think and on the second record, Jake got the production credit, which the second record sounds pretty much exactly the way we would have wanted it. I'm sure if you were asking Jake, he likes stuff about all three of them. They all are completely different. We never tried to make the same record in a row. Oh, all right. we yeah, the second record was a little bit more funky, had a more like funk style Absolutely. to it. Absolutely. Well, Love Don't Mean a Thing has a certain kind of hardcore funk uh, not hardcore funk, but it has a kind of like trapeze, the band trapeze with a certain Zeppelin. Oh, yeah. Zeppelin kind, Zeppelin kind of dabbled in a little bit of funk sort of thing. And then there's another song on there called, uh, um, oh, heck, uh, Three Day Funk. Oh, yeah, Three Day Funk, um, which has a certain kind of flavor to it. But we also got pretty heavy uh, Heaven's Train or... Um, Soul Stealer, um, Shine On are all pretty heavy. And then you have stuff like uh, The Last Time, which, you know, kind of has a very kind of 70s sort of feel to it. So we were not um, restricted by what was popular. Uh, Jake yeah. wrote what he wanted. We all liked it. We all played the way we wanted. We weren't concerned with what was the flavor of that year or the month or the day. We did exactly what we wanted. And in the end, you know, like I said, there's a lot of bands, guys I know that they say, oh, I can't listen to that record anymore. I hate that song. Or they made us do that single. I don't have any of that uh, pro problem with the record. And I don't think Eric or, or Jake 
or Jeff, and if Ray was alive, would probably be the same way. We all are pretty happy with how it turned out. And I think as right a song, songwriters, we like the progression of how the, where the music started on the first record to where it ended up on the third record. And had we stayed together, I'm sure we would have written, written something even more interesting for the fourth record. I know right you on. guys, you guys, I was into you guys before I was into Osmond. So I'm <laughs> just letting you know that, man. Mm -hmm. I, I saw that video for Dreams in the Dust, Dark on MTV. And I was like amazed by the power of Ray's voice. And then when I got the album, it was even more powerful. I said, like, damn. What a, and then I, I, then I got into Jake and I go, oh, wait, people were telling me he was an Aussie. So I started listening to his Aussie stuff and that was really good too. But um, really good band. But let's talk about your new band, Kings of Dust. But before we get into that, I have a question from a, a, a listener. He wanted to know, um, Dusk, why didn't uh, Atlantic initially release it? Um, we were, we had already left Atlantic by then. We had a two album deal with them and they wanted to re-sign us, but we didn't want to be, we weren't happy with how Atlantic, um, handled the situation with us and our touring and all that. There was a lot of, uh, it wasn't a clean split. There was a lot of acrimony, uh, there, uh, we just wanted to move on to a different, different place. Uh, so that, the dusk thing was basically demos we did for Sony, I, I believe it was Sony. And there was a number of labels that were interested in signing us. So we just did it as demos. And then by the time the band broke up, it, they were just kind of sitting around. No one really knew where they were. And uh, we managed to find out where those demos were. We bought them. Uh, Jake and I remixed them with a guy named Matt Thor, who has a studio in Burbank. He was the bass player in Rough Cut, a good friend of both of ours, me and Jake. Oh, wow. So we mixed it as his studio. I would mix all day. Jake would come in at night, change whatever he didn't like that I mixed. Then I would come in the next day. I didn't change anything of his. And uh, we just kind of, I kind of got it set up for him. And then he would tweak whatever it is that I had. It was pretty easy to mix because it's live. There's no overdubbed guitars, no rhythm guitars during the solos, no, no harmonies, no, it's just basically what we would have sounded like playing those songs live. So it took us, I think, maybe three days to mix it. And I really like the way it sounds. It's just a very kind of visceral sort of in your face, uh, you know, four guys in their uh, raw state. Right on. Yeah. In fact, and um, after we're done the um, this Zoom, I'm, I'm going to check it out. Because um, I I heard the first album and I definitely want to hear the other stuff now. Because they, definitely um, all sound, they sound different, that's for sure. But the songwriting yeah, they're, they're all different. Yeah, songwriting can't be denied. Great songwriting is great songwriting, and um, even though I was in the band, I I still think the band has withstood the test of time. And yeah, they have everybody wants to buy. Badlands everywhere, but they're not released anymore. And just, it's like I, I, I find copies, and they're like four hundred bucks. <laughs> yeah, like, I know. I wish I had about a hundred of them sitting around here because I'd put them on eBay and make a bunch of money. Oh, you would, man. <laughs> and then also Brian Davis, the guy asked the other question. He wanted to know: Do you have any uh, material left for Badlands, or that was it? No, we had about uh, I want to say close to thirty songs written for the first record, and. Uh, 
a lot of it is stuff that we were just writing as we were kind of finding our way in what direction we wanted to be. We demoed probably all of it. And there's some stuff floating around on the internet of Badlands demos or Badlands unreleased tracks. But um, normally people don't have the right name for the song, so they'll call it something. But uh, I'm not even sure how it saw the light of day. Now there are probably a half a dozen songs that no one has, uh, I do. But, uh, and I'm not even sure if Jake has them, but there's some material from the first record and from the second record that uh, still his, uh, it's unheard. And there's a couple songs written for the dusk period that we ended up not putting on the record because they just weren't complete enough. But yes, uh, there's, but there is some unreleased material. And I don't know what will ever happen with it. Jake kind of, it's kind of up to him. Uh, whatever he wants to do with it, I'm on board with whatever his decision would be, if anything. It might be never. Yeah, and um, you were also in his band, Red Dragon Cartel, for a little bit, too. I was. He called me in uh, 2014, was unhappy with the bass player he had, and wanted to know if I would do a show with him here in Arizona. Uh, Jake and I had not actually seen each other in, geez, I don't know. 15, 16 years, and we got together, and uh, what, they came in down to do the show. We rehearsed at Sound Vision Studios, the studios owned by Michael Beck, uh, former Kings of Dust singer, and it was just like we had played together every day for the previous 15 or whatever it was years. It was just like the way it was meant to be, so I did the show. It's a good show. I had a great time. And then they asked me if I joined the band. They were getting ready to go on tour again. And I couldn't. I said, I have other commitments. This was in March of 2014. I said, I have other commitments till August. And I said, if you still want me to be in the band in August, call me and I will join then. And of course, Jake and I were in contact, you know, pretty frequently on the road, just via texting. And so he texted me on August 1st said, still want you to be in the band. Do you want to do it? And I said, yeah, I'll do it. So I joined the band, uh, went to Vegas and rehearsed, uh, did, I don't know how many shows we did, probably 40. Uh, we did one leg of a tour where we were in Texas and then we went to LA and Vegas and then we were off for Thanksgiving and then we went to the East Coast. And guess what happens in the East Coast in late November and December that it doesn't happen here in Phoenix? It snows and it's damn cold. And I wasn't at all prepared wow. for that. So we did about 25, 30 shows, did that tour. And then uh, we were getting ready to go on tour in April of 2015 when I was diagnosed with cancer. So I had to quit Red Dragon Cartel to do this. I had stage four cancer. I had to do my cancer treatment, which took uh, the better part of five months. Uh, of chemo and radiation. I had stage four tongue cancer because my big mouth got me in trouble, obviously. And uh, uh -huh. I had to deal with that cancer. So by then Jake had another bass player, Anthony Esposito, really nice guy, uh, excellent bass player, did a great job on their uh, patina record. And uh, I, enjoyed, I, I enjoyed my time. Had I not gotten cancer, I would have stayed in the band. I enjoyed playing with Jake. I like Darren James Smith, the singer, is a really good friend of mine. I actually just got a message from him today, a uh, text message. I haven't heard from him in a 
couple months just wanting to know what's up. And uh, it's a great band, great, great, great to be part of it. Um, but cancer, cancer isn't for sissies, so I had to take care of that. Oh man, I'm glad you recovered from it. Are you? Uh, is it gone or? Yeah, I've been. Uh, I my last cancer treatment was uh, uh, October fifth of two thousand fifteen, and I've been cancer free since. Wow! I go through all the checkups. Very checkup. cool. So, um, you know, it kind of. I mean, cancer sucks no matter where it is. It's pretty brutal when it's in your mouth. Um, but it's just one of those things that, uh, you know, life gives you a, a certain amount of hands of cards you got to play. And that was one of the ones I had to play. And so I had to yeah. focus on getting, while I hated to quit Red Dragon, I had to focus on this because when you're in stage four, <laughs> I as I found out the hard way when the doctor said, uh, you have stage four, whatever this cancer is. And I said, well, how, okay, how many stages are there? And he said, four. And I said, so this is bad? And he goes, real bad. I said, okay, Man. let's go. What are we going to do? Tell me what I got to do. And so I just went, they put out a program for me to do. I did the whole program to the letter. So, so I'm totally good now. Right on. So how did you come to start Kings of Dust? Well, I always had that band going even while I was in Red Dragon. It was me and Michael Beck. And uh, it was originally started about nine years ago with me, Michael Beck, another guitar player, Mike Petruno, and another drummer, Donnie Fargo. And after a year and a half or two years, whatever, Donnie and Mike had to leave. And about a year later, Mike, uh, Michael Beck called me and said, hey, look, I really like these songs. Let's put together another band. So over the course of X amount of years, we went through different drummers and some different guitar players. Um, then we found Ryan McKay and Jimmy Taft, who um, Jimmy is a great drummer. I played with him in some bands before here in Phoenix. And Ryan, I had seen him play and really liked the way he played. And, and he kind of is into the same style of music. So we started it. I was doing Red Dragon Cartel at the same time, but I would have still done Kings of Dust, which at that time, when we first started it, it wasn't called Kings of Dust. We had kind of two goofy names till um, I came up with the name Kings of Dust. And then all of a sudden the cancer hit. So while the band has been around for about nine years, there's about five years of that where we were kind of dormant because when, when I got done with my cancer treatment, I wasn't really in the right frame of mind to start doing another original band. So it sat for a good three, three and a half years before I finally called up the guys and said, look, Let's finish mm. the thing. Let's do it. I feel good enough now because even though I was cancer-free, the, the um, effects of the treatment were pretty yeah. pretty devastating. And it took me a long time to get myself physically to the point where I wanted to um, take on the challenge of making, of having a band again and all that that entails. So um, it's, been about a nine-year process but probably only about four and a half years of it were actually active yeah, but it's kind of like Heinz ketchup it's worth the wait you know uh, what I mean I appreciate that you know what what was funny what kind of was the motivating factor is there was a local musician in town here and one of the guys in my band was telling him how he had joined you know kings of dust you know my band and the guy said oh is chase on still trying to float that turd 
And oh. it got mm. back to me. And I said, okay, now I'm ready to do it. And so <laughs> uh, it just took one stupid comment from one idiot. Yeah. Local idiot for me to get pissed off enough to say, okay, even if I don't feel 100%, let's, let's, let's do this yeah. thing. And I'm, even so if you don't feel 100%, said, at least you're not 0% like him. Well, <laughs> you know, <laughs> to that guy, I say thank you. Because I like the record and I'm proud of, you know, what we all did on that record. Yeah, right this on. is a this is a great album. I, I I saw you on Facebook and then I saw you were in Kings of Dust. So I, I gotta add this guy as a friend because you're one of my favorite bands, is Badlands. And then I um, asked you, where do I get this? So you go our website. So I went and bought it, and then I got it, and to my surprise, there's it was signed. And I was like, nice. And, and then I listened to the album and I go, man, I, I love the uh, Wolves and a little bit of Insanity, how they go in together and it ends with that jam. It's yeah. like, damn. That's my Amazing. Uh, my tribute to Jakey e. Lee is a little bit of Insanity. That would, uh, the jam would have been something that Jake and, you know, that we would have done in Badlands or even Red Dragon. So it's I, a uh, really cool song. That's my, uh, that's my homage to, uh, I mean, Jake and Jake's my best friend, so I, I still, we still uh, text back and forth pretty frequently. I'm very influenced by the material that he's done. Uh, the, he's my favorite guitar player of all time, uh, and that includes everyone. Um, so right to, to have been a, in a band with him and to maintain a friendship that we've had for, I don't know, 35 years. Um, I felt it was a, a good tip of the cap to to my brother there. Has he heard That's the album? Really cool. Oh yeah, he's got. I sent him a copy. Nice. He likes it. I, I hope I hope he's still going to make music because uh, we were we were missing him for years. Uh, you know what? They were getting ready to go on the road when COVID hit, and so I don't know what exactly. When Jake and I talk, it's usually not about anything musical. It's just about nonsense in his life or nonsense in mine or a movie he likes or a car or whatever you know uh just silly stuff and uh yeah i don't know if he's writing or if if they have any touring plans for the future but i'm sure once everything is cleared up enough for him to go on the road i'm sure he will be either going on the road or making a record or mm -hmm. doing something i mean he's too great of a talent to not you know be active in yeah. it and someday, no. hopefully, hopefully someday, him and I will be able to get a couple of rocking chairs at the old folks' home. And oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's like when when he I'm, came out I'm with curious. that album. Oh, I'm going. I'm just say saying when he came out with that album, man. Facebook was a buzz. Jake's back. Jake's back. I was like, dang, you know, people miss Jake, you know, and that was really cool. Go ahead, Lee. I'm 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 just curious if if you still have any contact with Eric Singer, by none any chance? None whatsoever. Oh, <laughs> that, that's that's by Eric's choice, not mine. Eric, oh, okay. Eric got I mad. Eric got mad at me because on the there's a company that reissued the first two records in England, and mm -hmm. he called me and said, "Hey, um." would you do an interview with us? And I said, okay. They, and they said, yeah, Jake's doing an interview and Eric and all these guys are doing interviews for the this 16 page booklet that they put out. Mm -hmm. 
Well, lo and behold, the only idiot that did the interview was me. So huh. they, so they, no one else was doing it. So they credit a bunch of stuff to me that I didn't say. Wow. And they got it out of old interviews or they got it or made it up on, I don't know, made it up to make it controversial. And the caveat for me to do the interview was I would get to see it before they went to press. Well, they didn't live up to that end of it either. Damn. These came out. It's all a bunch of crap. Some of it I did say, the normal stuff, but there's a bunch of crap on there that I didn't say. And there's a couple comments that are not very complimentary to Eric. And I didn't say it. And I even told the guy that had the the label, I said, I hope you realize you're going to cause a real big problem with me and Eric here. And it did. And I've never spoken to him since. He won't speak to me. And that's up to him. I mean, I'm past it. But uh, it's just yeah. going to show that, you know, the best laid plans. I no, no good deed goes unpunished. I tried to do a right thing for these guys as far as the record, you know, the, the, the booklet. And then yeah. screwing me in the end. And fortunately, Jake was cool with it, and Jeff was cool with it. But yeah. Eric, doesn't, Eric doesn't need to be friends with me. He's he's a Eric's a rock star. I'm a guy that runs a guitar store that has a band. That <laughs> you know, yeah, I'm just I mean, a guy that plays. Unfortunately, in a band. but yeah. So was that Rock Candy Records? Yes, sir. Yeah, I I got some uh, re-releases by them. They do a good job, and I guess they fucked that up. Um, yeah, I was pretty unhappy. Yeah, uh, and also your uh, Kings of Dust. You guys just signed a new contract, the record company. The Heliphonic, um, it, that's our manager Eddie Cantu. Uh, he has a uh, five or six bands, including of Gods and Monsters, uh, DC Four. Gosh, I'm sorry, there's someone I can't remember. And so uh, he is kind of taken over. We kind of did everything on our own on the first record. And so um, he is kind of taking over the distribution of it and uh, helping book some shows. We'll be doing some shows with Of Gods and Monsters and DC4 this summer. And he's going to just kind of take, we kind of took the ball as far as we could on our own. And he's going to help us move the pile forward. That's awesome, man. Also, you, you, got, you got a new vocalist also for the second record. Ken Ronk, uh, you know, uh, Michael was looking for other things to do, and we just decided if that's, you know, how we felt about it, and that's, you know, that's his right. If he wanted to go, you know, explore other options, we just decided that he should go do that, and we would uh, um, just carry on as kings of dust, so we just decided, you know, to... Uh, let Michael do his thing, and I'm sure he'll find something really good to do. Uh, in the meantime, um, as soon as this happened, we started thinking about who we could get. And Jimmy and I were both, we both worked with our new vocalist, Ken Ronk, before. So he was kind of our first choice. He's a very uh, 70s-style singer. He plays in a Zeppelin tribute band and also in a Bad Company tribute band. So he kind of has that vibe going on, which kind of fits our new music to a T and a uh, real nice guy, really good on stage. And he came in and wrote lyrics and melody lines to a couple of the new songs for the next record. And man, he just hit a home run on both of them. So between, you know, Jimmy on drums and Ryan on guitar and, and Ken, I have 
as close to the perfect band as I could possibly have right now. I'm very happy with it. And I, Michael, we wish we wish Michael the best. And you know, but we we're very happy to just continue in the Kings of Dust direction. And I was I'm, reading, I'm curious. So uh, let's say, for instance, with Kings of Dust, like compared with just just technically with Badlands, where maybe maybe Jake was a little bit more of the architect on the songs. Would you say that with Kings of Dust, more or less, you're the guy who's the architect, basically? On the or first is this record, more your vision? On the first record, um, because we went through different guitar players and, and drummers and stuff, I'm probably the main architect of, of the music on the first record. Although there are contributions from everyone, um, Okay. Songwriting wise, not not only songwriting wise, but also uh, everyone writes their own parts. On the yeah. second record, um, which we have about eleven songs written, um, Ryan and I will kind of take turns bringing in ideas. Ryan will bring in something and we'll work on it. I'll bring in something. We'll work on it. Jimmy even he brought in something. We've worked on it, and then uh, Ken will just add his vocals and melody line to the kind of All right. finished product. So while I'm probably the main architect on the first one, it's more of a group effort for sure on the second one. Oh, yeah. okay. And Very I've read cool. an interview where um, you said you guys want to get in the studio and play together, and that's unheard of these days with the people sending songs and the email and, and whatever like that. But I thought it was really cool that you guys still jam like the old days in the studio and work out the songs. Yeah, I get, I, I've had a number of offers to join that kind of one singer in one state, the singer in one state, the guitar player in another, the drummer in another. And to me, that's not a band. That's just my opinion. To me, that's a project. And yeah. to me, there's some magic that happens when you get all four guys in the same room, slugging it out, working the songs out, adding the parts, subtracting parts, trying different things. Everyone has an opinion and a voice. If uh, when I'm writing a bass part, Jimmy might be suggesting something I do to fit with a drum part and vice versa. Uh, when I might be playing a bass part of something I brought in, Ryan adds all kinds of interesting guitar things on top of it. Mm -hmm. um, you don't, you kind of miss that um, if you're not all in the same room. So yeah, uh, when we rehearse together, Ken comes down on the first record. Michael was there for all the rehearsals. He was writing lyrics and melody lines in rehearsal on this next record. Ken's in there on every rehearsal. We're working on all the parts. We're all kind of suggest suggesting different parts to different things. Um, in the end, <clears throat> if there's going to be one guy that's probably going to have a final say, it probably would be me. But I would say that because we all kind of agree and we all are so in tune with what we're trying to do and what everyone's throwing in, it's not like it'll ever be like, hey, man, we got to do it this way because I produced the first record and it's not that sort of thing. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like if there's one guy that's kind of overseeing the whole mix of what we're doing as a song, it would probably be me but everyone has an equal say on how it's done and everyone contributes whatever they feel is the right part. And then we just kind of 
hone it into what it ends up being. Because our songs aren't your typical three minute song, we have most of our songs are over four, some of them as long as five, and on the first record, some as long as six. Yeah, so I would say jokingly, jokingly, it might be, you might say, this is what I think it should be. Is that okay with you? Well, <laughs> you know what? That, uh, all joking aside, that's kind of how it is. I might say yeah. to Ryan, hey, man, I think this should go this way. What do you think? And yeah. we're so in tune with what the other guy is thinking. 99 times out of 100, Ryan will say, yeah, I agree with that. And, right but now and then it might be, yeah, I agree with that. But how about a little of this too? And then uh, I would go or the rest of us would go, oh yeah, cool. Trust me, by no means um, am I wanting to be the main guy in this. I kind of yeah. had that mantle on the first record. It's a lot of work. I'm totally enjoying yeah. Ryan's contributions as a songwriter and Jimmy's and Ken's. It means less work for me. And because we um, do kind of agree, 99.9% .9 of the time, it makes yeah. it very easy. Uh, and plus, it's just so much easier to write with people. In Badlands, you know, Jake would bring in a couple of ideas, and it might be a verse and a chorus or just a verse and a riff. And then we would all really add our parts yeah. to it. I mean, if you listen to that first record, nobody could write a drum part like Eric could in Devil Stomp. I mean, that yeah. comes out, out of Eric's head. No one could possibly, guys, when they auditioned, they couldn't even play it because it's such a mm. yeah. Eric's head drum part. And that's the same thing with any other part of the song on those records. Everyone said, I'm doing this, I'm doing this. Now, Jake had the last say on it, and but 99, again, I keep using that phrase, 99.9, .9, he was right down with what we did and that's kind of with kings of dust i'm usually pretty right on with whatever jimmy writes what ryan writes i mean ryan will write something to something that i wrote and i'll go man that just makes it so much better and i could never have heard it that way thanks thanks for making my job yeah. easier and that's just so killer it, same with ken i'll hear him sing and go oh man that's exactly how i heard it in my head and that's so hard to duplicate oh definitely yeah I, because I was listening to the Kings of Dust um, before we did the podcast. In fact, the last song that I had been listening to was I was listening to The Wolves and then The Insanity mm -hmm. just seconds before I came on the podcast. And, 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 and I was hearing all, you know, a lot of the stuff. And it's like, um, a lot of a lot of stuff that comes out nowadays, um, I'm either okay with it or not okay with it. But this really was one of the few that I thought this is really the stuff because I grew up with '70s stuff and with some '80s stuff. But it's it's just there's a certain feel. And that if you've got the right feel and you know what you're doing, the, the music just works. And that's exactly how I felt about Kings of Dust. I thought this is this is the stuff. You know, the, origi the original uh, guitar player in the band, uh, Mike Petruno, him and I uh, have been friends a long time. But 
we kind of come from the same influences. So a lot of those songs, like whether it's uh, Wolves or uh, Like an Ocean. Uh, yeah, I love Like an Ocean. That's the first song I heard of you guys. And I was like, this just kicks major, you know what? It's awesome. Anyway, well, there's like four, four, I think four or five songs on that record that were co-written with him and I, and it was kind of the same way Ryan and I right now, where he would bring in a, an idea and then I would add to it, or I would bring in an idea. And uh, like I wrote the main part of Wolves and then he, I brought it in and then he adds his part to it. And so um, there's like, like I said, four or five songs on that record that are written that way. After he left, it was kind of like me on my own. Um, where I was kind of bringing in almost the whole song and then everyone was adding their parts to it. But I enjoy the, the way that Ryan and I right now, which is very similar to the way Mike and I, Mike Petruno and I wrote on those songs. Uh, like I said, there's, I think it's Let the Ugly Through, Wolves Like an Ocean, and uh, Yours Not Mine, I think were, oh, and Keep the Spirit Alive. Um, those were just collaborations between him and I. And yeah. I, enjoy, I enjoy the collaborative... Uh, writing things so right on yeah it's a really great album and again show it right here you guys need to go out and uh, get to their website and buy this gem because uh their second when's your second album uh, do you know when that's going to be coming out well we had planned to record in the summer and then uh you know once we uh parted company with beck that necessitated us getting a new singer which kind of put everything back and then uh, once uh, Eddie became our manager, he had some shows. We're playing in El Paso, Texas. Uh, I think we're playing in Tucson the first weekend or second weekend of June. I wish I had the date. I don't. Um, and then we're playing in El Paso the next day. And so because we some live shows kind of came about, plus we, you know, ch changed singers. Um, that kind of slowed the process down. So right now we're putting a show together. There will be a, a couple songs from the upcoming second record will be in the show. Uh, we have some shows in July as well. Uh, one in Poughkeepsie, New York, one outside of Philadelphia, and there's other ones being booked kind of as we speak. So we will be busy, but the plan is for us to go in the studio in the fall. Uh, we'll have about 14 songs and we'll do that second record by then Ken will be completely locked in with us as far as singing songs off the first record and writing the songs on the second record with us. Um, we're lucky to have Ken because A, he's local. We got tons of uh, inquiries, audition videos and audio stuff of a lot of great singers, but we wanted a guy in town so he could, we're rehearsing tomorrow night and all four of us will be there. And we just didn't want to be sending tapes off. We wanted it to, we wanted to do it old school. And Ken, you know, has been very, uh, he's a godsend for us. I mean, he, I can't imagine what we'd be doing. It's hard to find a good singer in a way to find a singer of Ken's caliber in Phoenix, like where we're at. Can't beat it. He cannot. Yeah, in fact, um, I mean, um, I don't live very close to Poughkeepsie, but if you're playing in New York and I am able to go to, you know, a New York show that you, you do, I, I would like to do that because um, 
Um, I like your sound and I don't, I, I do go to some shows. Unfortunately, there's like, let's say there's a show that I, um, of a major artist that I wanted to see. It was last year and then it got postponed. And then now I find out it's postponed until next year because of COVID. But yeah. um, um, if if there's like any shows that are on that I can see, I um, I definitely would see your show. Well, I appreciate that. Uh, you know what? Um, I'm I'm my bad for not having the exact dates in front of me. Um, but I will. It's okay. It'll be on our website when we're doing that, and there'll be plenty of notice. And uh, we've never actually done a show. So um, even with All the right. original singer, with Michael, we had never done a show. So the fact that we're finally going to go out on the road with Ken is going to be great. And as long as the venues stay open, we, we plan on doing, I don't know, somewhere between 10 and 20 shows this summer. Um, okay. Out, out of state. And at some point, we'll probably do a show here in Phoenix. Uh, we don't have anything booked at the moment. But uh, it's kind of, everything is kind of moving forward. And as I like to say, upward and onward. Um, right on. I'm glad that so many people like the record. And if, uh, to all of uh, your listeners, uh, if Kings of Dust is playing near you, come by and see it and make sure you come up and say hi. Yeah, yeah that's the I, one thing I, I that I to... like is, is when... Um, when bands are either at the merch table or when you can meet them because that's one thing that when I go to a club gig, um, if, if I can buy the merch from the artist and get to tell them how much that I appreciate their music and all that, that means a lot to me. Well, that means a lot to us and we'll have all that stuff available when we're on the road. Yeah, I, right I love the merch table. I almost got to beat Matt Starr at an Ace Fraley show, but he, they, they uh, hurried him back because the meet and greet was coming. <laughs> I was like, damn. Uh, yeah, the, the whole meet and greet thing, that's a, that's a whole new world. We did it in Red Dragon Cartel. I had never uh, done that whole paid meet and greet thing before. I was like, really? That's how they do it now? Before we Yeah, so like they kicked us out. So, uh, But Matt Starr came up there and I was about... Hey, I'm your friend up here. And then bam, they kicked me out. I go, crap. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of that, a lot of bands because you don't make much money at a show anymore. They have to, when I was in Red Dragon, we did it because that's one of the ways we could stay on the road. It's sad. I, I make sure to buy merch every time I go to one of those. I used I used to go to the Rose in Pasadena. And since COVID, that place is gone now. They closed it. But uh, they also have one near me called The Canyon. I think that's still open, which is owned by the same company. That's a small venue that Rats played and, and uh, Jeff Tate's played. I think Ace has played there. It's pretty good. And I went to another small venue just before COVID and saw Night Ranger finally at uh, The Grove in Anaheim, which is really good, too. Yeah. So, um, nice. Yeah, you, yeah you're, so, you're in Pasadena. No, I'm in Rancho Cucamonga. I'm in between everything. Okay, and my brother lives in uh, La Crescentia, Flint Ridge. Oh, that's, I think that's in a valley, isn't it? Kind of. No, it's up on right next to Angeles Crest Forest. Oh, okay. I, I drove through Angeles Crest Forest one time because I, I work at Disney and there was a huge fire. Yeah. And it, I couldn't get home. And I went around Angeles Crest. It took me three hours, four hours to get home. I, go, I never want to go this route again. 
because I lived in Victorville at that time. It was oh, okay. horrible. Yeah, um, I just like, I just, I would like to see more live music coming out, man. I miss live music. It's like my favorite thing to do. It's like, I like to support you guys. Uh, the freaking downloads and people stealing music always pissed me off. And I go, man, if you guys keep stealing these people's music, we're not going to have any good music. We're just going to have freaking auto-tune crap, <laughs> you know? You definitely don't make any money at it. I mean, uh, people that are making music these days are doing it. It's definitely a labor of love because um, the way that, like people always say, is Kings of Dust on Spotify. Oh, hell no. Spotify's the worst. I mean, they pay yeah. less They pay less than iTunes. So, you know, yeah. you, <laughs> wow. you know, it's, it's just makes it hard when you're basically just giving it away. And I mean, for, for us, we all have jobs. Uh, it, the guys in my band all have jobs. And, uh, you know, I have a, the guitar store that I run, Bizarre Guitar and Drum in Phoenix. Ryan, my guitar player, works in the store with me. So Jimmy has a business. Ken has a business. So we're all, you know, we don't need the money, but it would be nice to not have to come out of your own pocket for everything that you do. Yeah. And to be able to make the, you know, make enough money off the first record to help finance the second record. Again, none of us are going to be buying uh, islands in the South Pacific anytime soon. But when you're an artist and you have something to say, something to present, you want people to hear it. And in order to do that, you have to make at least enough money to put it out there. And that's kind of where we're yeah. at. Yeah, it's like this, uh, an artist on uh, Facebook, he sent me his album in an email and I sent him 10 bucks on PayPal. And he said, why did you send me money? I said, because you gave me music, I'm paying for it. <laughs> you know? yeah, you're, that, you're a good man, my friend. You're good, both yeah. of you guys. That's, that's, uh, it's just one of those things that people always assume if you're making a record that you're rich. And even when I was in Badlands, people would say, oh, let me have your bracelet. Let me have your watch. You guys are rich. You could buy more. You couldn't be farther from oh. We We're just, we were a working band. Yeah, we sold some records, but we were a working band trying to just basically um, keep everything afloat so we could continue as a working band. Kings of Dust is different because we're not going on a six month tour. We can't, we have businesses to run. But yeah. we'll as many fly dates and weekend drive-in dates, you know, go to, you know, hopefully we'll go play in LA. I know we'll play in, at BAMP in Vegas at some point. Uh, you know, we're going to drive to El Paso when we go. And, and there's a couple dates, one in Houston and one in uh, Dallas that are coming up also in June or July. I think it's June that if we do those, we'll be driving or we'll drive Jimmy's trailer with our gear in it. So it's pretty... Uh, it's pretty grassroots. We we are uh, no roadies. We're all, I'm my own roadie. Uh, yeah. We are we're kind of a fly by the seat of the pants sort of organization, which I think probably a lot of bands are, unless you're a band that's, you know, unless you're my buddy Robert Mason plays in Warren. That's a band that has a, it has a pedigree or a resume. Yeah. That allows them to you know make real money at it. And that's really cool. What I do in Kings of Dust isn't the same as that. And I, I love Robert Mason ever since I heard him in the Lynch Mob album. And I just got uh, their new record on vinyl, the End Machine Phase 2. 
I bought the other one too. I, I, I buy everything a guy is in big cock warrant. You know, I'm a huge fan of Robert Mason, man. Yeah, Robert and I have been really good friends for, <coughs> I don't know, 30 years. Dang. He's a right very on. underrated he, he lives here in, list, he, man. He lives here in Phoenix or outside of Phoenix in uh, Carefree or Cave Creek, wherever it is. But uh, I'll probably see him this weekend. There's a car show. Robert has a car. I'll bring my car and we'll go hang out at the car show. Hey, say uh, Mark says hi to him because <laughs> I, I, I really will. love that guy, man. I will. I was just before yeah, we got I on. I was listening say, to the new album. <laughs> um, I love I love the album "Rockaholic" by Warrant. So, if if you have a chance to tell him that Lee liked "Rockaholic," <laughs> you know, I'm sure he'll appreciate it. I'm sure he'll appreciate it. Yeah, so I just yeah. want to tell people to support you, uh, find your band on Facebook, and yep. uh, look for you guys out on tour when you guys get out there, man, and support you guys, because you guys are a really good band, and these people need to hear. I, I put you on my face my Facebook group on this. all. I put your songs up a couple times. I shared it to groups, but I'm not getting any traction with it. Maybe this will help people to go out and say, oh, wait, Mark interviewed the guy from Badlands. We need to listen to this, you know? <laughs> Well, I mean, if you like good 70s style riff rock, kind of bluesy, kind of with a twist, that whole thing, you probably like this. Uh, we appreciate the support of you guys and, and any other people. Um, you, can, you can get it off of our uh, Kings of Dust Facebook page. We have a, uh, a website, kod.band, which you can also order the CD. And you can also find me on Facebook. And say, hey, I saw you on this show, and uh, how do I get a CD? And I'll point you in the right direction, and we'll even sign it for you. Yeah, my guy. Right on. Right here. I was surprised because you told me that if, if you're ever in Phoenix, come by and stop by, and I'll sign it for you. And I got it; it was already signed. I go, cool. <laughs> well, when when you bring it to our LA show, when that happens, I'll sign it some other part of it. <laughs> oh, okay, that's cool, man. <laughs> I'll, I'll personalize it. All right, man. Thank and you. Uh, and, and yours when I see you in New York. <laughs> right on, man. Yeah, because right, I'd man. love to um, be able to see you in person cool. and maybe get a selfie and all that. Because absolutely. absolutely, right on. And I'm, and I'm a huge fan of that quarterback right behind you, <laughs> Joe Montana. Yeah, yeah. I'm a huge Niner fan. Have been my whole life. And then when he went to KC, it broke my heart. But I watched. I still I bought a hat because he was there. And uh, I supported Casey until they played the Niners, but then uh, Joe killed Steve Young and Jerry Rice in that game. <laughs> you know, I uh, I was a huge. I grew up a 49er fan. I grew up in that area, and uh, I was a huge Joe Montana fan. And when they traded him, I was crushed. So I no longer followed the 49ers, and I still don't. And uh, wow. they, tra they traded my guy, and uh, that is a signed Kansas City. Uh, Chiefs jersey. Yeah, uh, I had a chance to meet him one time coming out of a restaurant, but he was in the middle of a conversation, so I just held the door for him as my wife and I were going in. But I would have loved to have met him. It's kind of like um, I was a Diamondbacks fan till they traded my favorite player, Paul Goldschmidt. Now I'm a Cardinals fan. Oh wow! Wow! It's like uh, it's like I was a Dodger. I, I'm a Dodger fan, and they traded my all-time favorite player, Steve Garvey. I never became a, a 
Padres fan, though. No. <laughs> oh, I, I was uh, – here, here, hang on here. I'll just – here's my, my Paul Goldschmidt. Now, this room here that I'm in, my son – this used to be my son's room, mm -hmm. and he lives on his own now. But uh, he – we kind of kept his room the way that it was, so there's a whole bunch of baseball trophies that he got and signed balls and all kinds of uh, – Batman and baseball memorabilia. So this was my son's Paul Goldschmidt poster, and it's a, on a uh, signed cool. Fender Stratocaster that has the uh, Arizona Diamondbacks paint job on it. Nice. I was happy when they traded got Paul, though, because he was a Dodger killer in our division. <laughs> Every time he's up, he's like, oh, God, there he is. <laughs> he's going to hit another home run. <laughs> he, he used to hit Clayton Kershaw pretty uh, regular. Oh, yeah. But when he went to St. Louis, I think we handled him better in St. Louis than in Arizona. <laughs> but, uh, I'm actually going to go to a Diamondbacks game uh, coming up here. It'll be my first time since he left. Of course, last year was kind of a wash. But I'm going when they play the Cardinals. <laughs> right on. So I can see Paul Goldschmidt. Right on. But you know, you know Joe signed a one-day contract when he retired to be a Niner. I know that. <laughs> He's I back in the Niner organization. <laughs> so I'll just let you know. I just want to thank you again, Greg, for coming on here, man. Uh, and uh, good luck to you and your band, man, because you guys rule. And I, I want to see you guys out on tour. I want to see you guys making money. I want to see people buying your albums. You know, fuck streaming. Fucking support your artists, man. Buy the merch. Buy the CDs. I appreciate it, guys. Uh, you know, right it would be impossible to do this without guys like you and without your followers and hopefully they become kings of dust fans along the way yeah and i really oh, appreciate having a really cool musician like you on someone who i really like the music and everything it it, it it really was great thank you so much well thanks again guys i appreciate it thank okay. you man have thank a you, great greg. have a great have a great rest of your evening uh greg all right guys i'll be talking right, to you bye. soon okay. okay all right cheers Okay, Lee, write the notes for me and bye, Greg. Okay. <laughs> I'll talk to you later. Thank you again. Thank you again, man. Okay, guys. All right. Take okay. It easy. Have right, a good bye. one. You too. Bye. Okay. Bye. Bye. Jennifer. Not you have just listened to the Freeform Rock Podcast. All music played on the Freeform Rock Podcast belongs to its owner. If you like it, go out and buy it. Get your music on Amazon, iTunes, or at your local record store. Support what you love. Support the artists by seeing them live. Purchase their music. The Freeform Rock Podcast is not affiliated with any of the artists or music that we play. Thank you for listening to the Freeform Rock Podcast. We'll see you on the next episode. Until next time, stay free and rock on.